0: On this episode of the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast, I'm delighted to be chatting with Gordon Ritchie, the Managing Director of Crombie. Crombie was founded in Scotland in 1805 on the River Don in Aberdeenshire, and it has been the choice of royalty, presidents and pop stars ever since. It ceased trading at the start of the pandemic in 2020 and was acquired by Gordon and his partners early in 2022. Gordon has a history with the company, He was Head of Wholesale between 2011 and 2014 and was responsible for getting it into the best stores around the world, in some 35 countries. He also introduced new product lines, including rainwear, knitwear, leather goods and accessories. The aim now is to inject a new energy into Crombie and reintroduce it to the world. Gordon, welcome. It's great to see you. Thank you. So I wanted to start just by asking a bit about you, if you could just tell us about you and your working life history. Not all of it, just some of it.
1: <laughs> well, I'll try and summarise it. I uh, started in retail in Scotland uh, when I was very young and this very first job was in a tailor's store, uh, training to do made-to-measure. Um, worked my way up in retail, you know, to running businesses, Um completely running businesses, doing all the buying, you know, being responsible for everything, the shop, image. Um, then got decided I uh, kind of wanted to do something else for a little while, so I sort of fell into the music business, um, worked in the music business for about 10, 12 years, and at that time moved to London from Scotland. After that period, was getting a bit fed up of the music business, and... You know, decided to get proper job again and went to work for Joseph in Brompton Cross, which um, just really to decide if I wanted to come back into the the clothing business again because I wasn't really sure at that point. Got to work with Joseph himself very closely, uh, which was really inspiring and really inspired me to to want to work in the the clothing business again. Went from there into wholesale roles, taking and really. I've been very lucky. I've always gone to work for brands that I really wanted to work for and uh taken brands that probably had a bit of heritage, had always been been around and had maybe just, you know, faded from the scene a little bit and kind of specialized in really building wholesale businesses again for these brands and bringing bringing them back in significant ways, uh, really developing their business for them. And uh then saw that Crombie were looking for someone to develop their business. Now, this was about 10, 12 years ago. I went to Crombie. It was the first international sort of role. At that time, they hadn't been in the wholesale business for about 20 years. They'd only been selling through their own stores. And uh, I took their the Crombie business from zero um, to, you know, trading in 35 countries, all the best international department stores. Um, within three years, we had a, just a, a major success, a major drive in, in pushing the brand forward. Um, it, you know, was under the previous ownership that we acquired the brand from earlier this year. Um, but it just felt like there wasn't really the support to then take it to the next level, at that point, you know, we'd had a rapid expansion of the brand and, you know, built a significant wholesale business for them uh, rapidly. Um, but it, I didn't feel personally that there was really going to be the support to keep building on that and to take it take it further. Coincidentally, got headhunted by another company with a lot of heritage looking to do a similar thing who just had investment. So I felt that was the the time to move on and to to move into this other company, um, that was lasted for a short period, uh, unfortunately, just through to internal business reasons, I was only there for a short period, and then went into freelance consulting, um, you know, working with brands, initially smaller brands, which was why it wasn't a full time role that I was um. Working on a sort of consultancy basis, uh, helping you know reposition them, you know new brands how to basically take themselves to market, and then that coincided also with some more significant roles where, as a consultant, I was appointed managing director at Kirk Originals, um, eyewear brand had been making sunglasses uh, eyewear for over a hundred years, um, and worked with them turned around the business within 6 months, complete new image, new products and we relaunched that with you know quite a lot of success. Most significantly with Mr Porter in the first season and we had we had a big success with with that. Um so yeah, prior to the the acquisition earlier this year of Crombie really, you know, spent the last little while working as a consultant you know with various brands and doing bits of writing for magazines and uh, various other other aspects of the industry as well
0: what drew you back to crombie well
1: i mean the crombie story is interesting i mean i'm aberdeen is my hometown uh, which is where crombies from originally and as a child i remember the crombie mill and the crombie factory and actually going to the factory and doing the factory tour and my mother would buy cloth from the factory shop and make make, um, clothes out of Crombie cloth at home you know patterns paper patterns over the kitchen table and I'm sure I probably have this vague recollection of helping her cut the cloth you know Um, also I had seven uncles Uh, who all wore Crombie coats, and my dad wore a Crombie coat as well. So the brand was, you know, just very much aware of it, even from as a child. Growing up, the whole youth culture aspect of Crombie, Crombie, you know, was a very significant part of British youth culture, which I immersed myself in, in my teenage years as well. And, uh, you know, Crombie was a name that was was always around, you know, in, in those years as well. And um, when I saw the job advertised, that they were looking for someone to build this wholesale business for them, I just thought immediately, that's the job for me. When I left, I did feel that, you know, there was still a lot more that could have been done. And uh, when the opportunity came up, or we felt there was an opportunity possibly to acquire the business... It just felt again. It just felt right. It was it was the thing to do. Uh, one of my business partners, who we'd um, been talking about doing something together, is also from Aberdeen. Uh, we we hadn't known each other in Aberdeen, but we'd very similar backgrounds, and he was the same. We just had a drive and determination, and I suppose the affinity to the brand. To, to really take it on board and, you know, hopefully we can we can make a big success of it
0: again, you know. Just to place this in context, so Crombie started as a, it was a textile mill essentially in, was it 1805? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, the
1: company started in, in 1805 in um, Aberdeen, just outside Aberdeen initially. Um, the reason for that, I just found out yesterday, because there's one of the, Reward personally rewarding things about being involved in this business is there is so much history that it's a constant learning process, and I just found out yesterday actually just in an article I came across that the reason they started at Cothill Mills, which is just outside Aberdeen, was that there was a waterfall. So, because there was a waterfall, that gave them the the power to you know drive the the wheels uh, for for the mill. You know, so that was the reason that they they started there. And then they moved into Aberdeen to Granham Mills, uh, where they actually built the biggest what was the biggest water wheel in the world at that time, uh, to, to drive the machinery in the mills. You know, John Crombie's aim was to produce the finest cloth, you know, and that he'd set standards very high and Granham Mills became the biggest mill in the UK and they were um providing and selling cloth internationally across the world. I mean, they were partly responsible for opening up up Japan to trade with the West. Uh, Thomas Glover, uh, who worked for Crombie in 1835, set sail for Japan, which was a closed country at that point, and for whatever reason managed managed to open the doors and you know, moved into the country, taking Crombie Cloth with him. It became a significant business for Crombie. Um, so suppose we were kind of like the first brand to be big in Japan, really. Uh, but he went on to be friends with the emperor. Um, the Madame Butterfly story is actually based on on Thomas Glover's life. He became one of the founders of the Mitsubishi Corporation and a very significant figure in Japanese history. Uh, and he's where he's known as the Scottish samurai um and there's really strong connection to Crombie obviously that was his whole reason for going to going to Japan and they continued to produce cloth uh, as far as I know right up until 1990 so although i think mid 1800s they started or late 1800s they started producing clothing as well they continued to produce cloth up until uh, Granham Mill up until Nineteen ninety, I think the factory closed. So yeah, there's a really, I think it's a really strong part of our our heritage is the cloth story.
0: The cloth story was the cloth they produced always seen as being um, a premium quality product.
1: Yeah, I think Crombie is very much associated with quality. You know, they've always set their standards very high. That was the the initial. Um, ethos behind the business was to produce the finest quality cloth and it's i mean we still get tailor stores around the world posting on instagram you know bolts of vintage crombie cashmere etc that they've found somewhere in a back room or they've they've held on to for years and years as a prized possession uh you know and then they'll post when they finally decided to make something out of it you know and they seem to to treat it with a bit of reverence you know, uh, these bolts of vintage Crombie cloth, which is really, really good to see, you know, that it it still has that resonance with people.
0: There was a mill producing this fantastic quality cloth. It was accessed, I'm sure, by the community up in Aberdeen who would buy it. Like you were saying, you know, your mother would buy the cloth and should make something. Yeah. Um, And then you also have Crombie manufacturing premium quality product. And that's quite yeah. unusual, isn't it?
1: yeah yeah I think so, and I think it's quite unique as well, you know um you know I can't there's not many brands that have that similar weight of reputation and of history and heritage It's quite unique that we have that weight of um heritage behind us um and also the reputation for quality and that's you know that's what people associate Crombie with.
0: The coats obviously are iconic. JFK or the Beatles, I know there's the iconic arrival in New York, and I think they were wearing um, right. Crombie coats and um, Winston Churchill. Yeah, we used to
1: have the Royal Warrant for Prince Charles, as he he was at that time. Crombie had a Royal Warrant for Prince Charles. Prince William is descended from John Crombie, uh, who started the company. Uh, we have the whole family tree history through his mother's side, of uh, that, they were descended from John Crombie. The classic Crombie coat single breasted, fly fronted, velvet collar, red lining. It was originally a Chesterfield coat, you know, and Crombie basically made the perfect cloth for Chesterfield coats. You know, And in a stroke of marketing genius, when they were sending out the bolts of cloth, and again, this was sort of mid to late 1800s, they started sending out woven labels with the bolts of cloth that said, made by Crombie, Aberdeen, Scotland, and saying to the tailors, can you sew this inside the finished coat once it's made? So they were making the Chesterfield coats, making them up and putting a label inside that said Crombie. So, of course, this became known as the best quality coats were the ones that had the Crombie label inside them. So people started coming and asking for a Crombie coat, and that was how it became the term for that, that style of coat. But the coat itself, the other development from then, previous to that, men's overcoats were really like frock coats, which had a seam you know, they were cut in two pieces where they would have a seam halfway along um the body, right cutting across the body. Whereas the the crombie, the classic crombie was all cut in one piece. So it was a longer, gave a much more elegant line. And you know, it's it's almost like we we talk about it being almost like a reverse canvas, where instead of it being a black canvas that you can, a blank canvas that you can put anything on, this is, the Crombie is almost like a reverse canvas that you can wear anything underneath and wear your Crombie on top, you know? And I think the other part of it was the quality of the make and the practicalities of it as well. The combination of the sort of melting type wool that it was made of, um, the Crombie Classic wool has quite a long fleece to it. And the combination of that with um, proper original horsehair canvas interlining, renders them almost windproof you know so when you're wearing your your classic crombie coat on the coldest of days or the windiest of days you know you might other extremities of your body might be feeling the cold or or the wind but where your crombie coat's covered there's no wind getting through that coat
0: you mentioned um the the wool and is the wool all british wool
1: yeah well crombie used to make it all themselves um obviously it was all made in our own mill in, in Granham and then ever since it's always been made from, from British cloth. Yeah, that's correct. So I think there's definitely um much more focus on people using British wool from British sheep.
0: You mentioned earlier horsehair. Will you will they be manufactured in the same way as they were traditionally, or are you going to look at new well, approaches to, to be A
1: combination of both. Um, the classic Crombie coat, you know, has existed for so long and, you know, been so iconic because of its longevity and the high quality and the fact that it does last for a long time. So I think it would be remiss of us not to continue to produce the classic Crombie coat in that traditional way. Uh, and we get people calling up you know i often take some of the customer calls myself and you know let let people tell me their crombie stories and tell tell me all about you know what their you know sort of you know motivation to buy crombie is you know and you know one of the questions that gets asked is you are still going to produce the classic crombie coat in the same way aren't you you know so you know, people definitely want that. There's definitely a demand for the, the classic crumbie coat as it's always been, you know. But then we also have to take the brand into new places. And I think, you know, I think there's definitely a case for bringing new versions of the crumbie coat to the market that maybe incorporate some technical aspects, you know. And I think, Potentially, you know, this is where maybe Crombie didn't grow as big before as it could have done because they tended just to stay where they were and focus mainly on the classic coats without doing anything particularly interesting or new or innovative uh, with them. So I think that's something we are going to be much more open to. You know, we want to keep the core product as a big part of what we do that's what our reputation is built on but we are also very forward thinking you know and we do want to to go into new areas maybe experiment a little bit with with different different things but we're also very focused on bringing a new generation you know into the crombie story and i think the demand from a new younger customer you know might be for you know lighter weights um and more technical aspects being incorporated in, into the coats, you know. I mean, we see ourselves very much as custodians of a piece of history. And it's a brand that very, very few brands can say they've lasted over 200 years up to now. I mean, Crombie's older than Hermes. It's older than Gucci. Um. And we see our role as the custodians is to put Crombie back on a platform so that it can go forward for another 200 years plus. You know, we're only uh, a part of the Crombie story. We're actually only the fourth group of owners in over 200 years. And, you know, we are just a part of that story. And it's our role to, as I say, put it back on a platform where it can go forward into the future.
0: So, I mean, there are a number of things that are really interesting to me with what you um with what you were saying one is you you were you talking about growth the other you, we you know talking about tradition and you know craftsmanship and it's interesting we i don't know how many minutes in to our chat and we've not mentioned luxury once but it's it's kind of inherent in the conversation and in the things we've been talking about you know craftsmanship you know under- you know understanding. You know the heritage and you know the origins, all those things. You talk about the growth. Will the growth and diversification not undermine the kind of the traditional values and you know the the heritage of the brand?
1: Yeah. Well, that's uh, it's a fine line, isn't it? And it's a fine balance. And as we go forward uh, with the brand, you know, we are very focused on taking it into new areas. Um, Previously, at the point I left Crombie and moved on, we were selling coats at £12,000 made from Vicuna, cashmere. Uh, The collections we were selling around the world at that time, we had beautiful pelongi leather trench coats, reversible leather driver's jackets, and really fine knitwear. So every category we moved into, we were really producing and presenting the best quality uh in those other product categories and that is inherent in the ethos of the company that it's the natural way to develop that everything and anything we do we want to do to the best quality possible you know and we know crombie works at the top of the market at the very top of the the luxury market um you know at the demand at that time particularly from southeast asia was you know we want the best the the most luxurious product that you can you can make you know and you know we we followed that through but on the other side of it we also have a a desire to almost make in the long term Crombie a little bit more accessible to people as a brand, because I think that's important for the next generation that that buys into Crombie. So, you know, we are looking to probably expand accessories, uh, more casual pieces that are maybe, you know, the entry points for people to become Crombie customers. But I think we just have to be very conscious of always continuing that ethos of, producing the the best quality uh no matter the level or the product category that we're looking at you know
0: yeah and that's i mean that's interesting i I was reading about gucci this in fact this morning now that um alessandro has is leaving and you know the conversations around whether or not he's leaving because all the work he's done over the years that he's been there to have to build the brand up to you know what it is is now starting to wane because of this huge amount of diversification and collaboration mm-hmm. that you know he's saturated the market and slightly devalued the brand yeah
1: i mean i i think he's done a fantastic job at, at gucci he really has done a fantastic job but i think you you touched on a key point there which i hadn't really thought about before but you know just as you said it there i thought really, they've, have they just done too much? I mean, it does seem like the world has been Gucci-fied over uh, the past few years, that um, there's just been, you know, everywhere you look, it's Gucci, you know? So maybe that's, they've just looked to grow too quickly and oversaturated the market. Um, obviously, it's a very specific aesthetic that he's developed for Gucci as well. And maybe it just needed a change and a switch, you know, and, you know, you just keep following that same path. They've maybe just followed that same path for too long without refreshing it, you know, and and switching it around, you know. And I think, you know, you know, we have a core product and everything else we do around it there has got to be constant refreshes and innovations. And, you know, I think you have to, you know, any brand has to keep updating itself keep renewing itself uh, just to keep people interested you know in the brand if you follow the same path completely for too long you know then that interest can can wane people are always wanting the next thing and and the new thing you know and i mean it's there's no exact science there's no formula to it but you have to be conscious of that i think constantly
0: Yeah, And that's an interesting point, because I wonder, you know, I was just when you were talking about um, the expectations of the customer, I wonder if now, I mean, partly, of course, due to um, everything being available all the time, whether it's online on your phone, whether our expectations have changed, partly due to um, this constant deluge of information that we are being confronted with but also partly due due to um, brands continuously producing more and more and more stuff. I see with
1: Gucci that that's been part of the problem. I think they've taken the opportunity. It's obviously been selling very well. It's been received very well. And it does feel like they've just tried to pump as much of that out in as many Different ways and avenues as as possible, uh, very quickly, and just feels like it's just been whoa, this you know too much, and people can only consume a certain amount of it, you know. And again, you know, I think they they've done a fantastic job as as a brand, but it definitely feels like it's time for a a switch or a refresh or a change, you know. I mean, it's the nature of these brands these days, isn't it? That that's how they refresh, that they they switched designers
0: just thinking about crombie and my own experience with it it was always about the quality of the product yeah and thinking about many of these other luxury brands the quality of the product is not always that great
1: yeah i would agree you know um i mean i you know buy from these brands myself i always try and approach things like a consumer you know and you know i've got Things in my wardrobe that are very rarely worn because you know you you buy into it's a classic piece and the quality is just really not that great or it's not actually that comfortable to wear you know but I suppose this is one of the dichotomies of luxury really I still like the fact that I own that product and I own that piece you know it it does something for you emotionally when you make that purchase, you know, even though it sits in the wardrobe and you wear other things more instead, you know, there is something about that emotional connection to brands. And bringing that back to Crombie again, and what you you were saying, I mean, people really have an emotional connection to Crombie. As I say, you know, we get people calling up, emailing us and wanting to tell us their their Crombie story. And, You know, I've been thinking about this quite a lot. I mean, what is it that is behind this emotional connection that people have to Crombie? And, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about, and again, this is just just a theory. Uh, There's no no, um, empirical evidence for it. Um, But I think it's that thing like you just touched on there about it being a coat and being something that you wear in the autumn and it keeps you warm, and it's, it's a protection in a way, or it's your, almost like your, your armor that you wear, you know, when, when you go out, and it's, I think that's why you become attached to it, you know, it's, it's keeping you warm, you know, it's, it's protecting you, and I think it's, in some way, builds this real emotional connection to people, and the fact that, it becomes part of your life. And certainly when it's something as good quality as a, a classic crumby coat and you've worn it for 20 years or 25 years or 40 years, it's a part of your life, you know? Um, and it's, a you know, people talk about the relationship they have with denim and with jeans, you know? Um, how they become, you know, a part of them and it's it's part of their identity. That's true, but they the individual pieces come and go because denim doesn't last 20 years. It doesn't last 25 years. You know, it might last quite a long time, you know, um, whereas a crombie coat, you know, as I say, 20 years, 40 years, and that's, you know, it becomes part of your life. It's a, a part of your life, you know?
0: And I think that's an important point. And you sp- you, you mentioned earlier longevity. You're talking about a Crombie coat lasting for 20 years. Those other brands are really about fashion. So I was wondering, do you see difference between what you will be doing or are doing um, in re- reviving Crombie with one of these other b- big companies that are predominantly about fashion and they're not about longevity? They're about seasonality and change.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the world is changing uh, and has changed over the the past few years, you know. And I think it's again, it comes back to being a fine balance because, you know, we want people to buy products that, and to buy, you know, coats that they know will last them for forty years. But we don't just want them to come and purchase from us every forty years, because of course you can't build the business on on that. So that's why we have to concentrate on Crombie being more than just Coats, you know. And, I mean, the Coats, under the previous ownership, became the major part of their business. And I think the rest of the business became neglected, you know. Um, but Crombie has always done other stuff as well. You know, um, we had... When I took over the brand before, I was immediately aware that we had to do more than just coats. And the first season we took out silk scarves, um, you know, paisley pattern style silk scarves. And we sold as many scarves as we sold coats because the stores realized that to generate some excitement and to catch people's attention in the stores, it had to be more than just a rail of coats, you know? So they were buying into the silk scarves because then they could accessorize the the coats even on the rail and display them, you know, with silk scarf. And we we were selling as many, almost one scarf for every coat that we sold, you know? And it was then that we started developing the collections into other products but very conscious of the fact that it had to still look like Crombie. It had to be, you know, aesthetically definitely Crombie that people were looking at. And it was quite interesting. Like I presented the very first or put together and then presented the very first spring-summer collections that Crombie had ever presented. Now, they'd always produced some products in the summer on on a small scale, you know. Um, but we put it together in a focused collection, and we concentrated on the classic Crombie colours—navy blue, red—which were the best-selling classic Crombie colours that people associate with Crombie. So the very first spring-summer collection was very focused on those colours. So it looked very Crombie, but it was spring-summer product, you know. And again, we had a we had a big success with that because to be successful with the retailers around the world you can't just be a one season we couldn't just be a one season brand you know we had to almost stake our claim to that space in these stores year year round you know um and you know i think there's there's different ways we can we can go you know with the brand and it's all you know it's under discussion every day you know um you know we could potentially just stay as an outerwear brand you know, and just focus on outerwear and then, you know, with additional accessories or we could, you know, come back with full collections that take us into, you know, all all product categories. And I think it's it's going to be a, a balance because, again, quite uniquely, it's really important that we have a core product that people will be able to buy season after season. And I it's almost, I, I see the the future is actually building more core products and actually there's more classic styles that Crombie were responsible for other than what has become known as the Crombie coat. You know going back into the the history and the archives there's other classic Crombie coats in there that you know are styles that have the potential with a bit more focus on them to really we can grow our range of core products quite significantly and then you know still refresh with new and more trend fashion driven pieces uh that complement that and but it's very important that it all works together as a whole and that it's all all crummy you know but yeah they've they've done a lot of different things in the past in in different areas um you know, um, and I think it's very important that, that we develop these other areas as well going forward to just to, to allow us a, a, a wider, brighter future for the brand.
0: Will you then consider yourself to be a fashion brand or purveyors of luxury goods?
1: I don't know if we would describe ourselves as either, Sean. I haven't quite come up with the, the key phrase, but... um yeah, I mean, what, what, it's definitely not a fashion brand, although it will incorporate elements of fashion. I mean, you know, the world incorporates elements of fashion, whether it's clothing or not, you know, whether it's your phone or the fact that we're recording a podcast, you know, it's fashion drives life and, and the world, you know. so, But I, I definitely wouldn't describe ourselves as a fashion brand. And you know, purveyors of luxury goods, I mean, you mentioned earlier, we were, can't remember how long into the podcast before the word had even been mentioned, you know. And I think, um, you know, it's we talk about luxury internally quite a lot, but externally, it's such an overused word at, at the moment, you know, that I think we have to tread carefully around the language that we use. And we certainly don't want to tie ourselves into any particular corner with the brand. I mean, there's there's a wide world out there, a lot of areas that we see Crombie working in, potentially down, down the line. So we are, we're very conscious of not tying ourselves into too tight a corner, or, you know, we, we're very open, I suppose we felt that crombie has been a very closed brand in the past you know they were they weren't open to collaboration working with any anyone else you know they didn't use agents they didn't use distributors you know there was no outside pr agencies it felt a very much like a closed company we are myself and my my partners we are completely the opposite we are very open um you know some of the most rewarding things i've worked on in my life have been very much about collaboration and and working with other people as a team and we are very open to to collaboration and to to working with other people and other companies so um yeah it's it's I think you have to tread round terminology these days because everything can be tweeted or picked up on or quoted, and you just don't know. <laughs> you just don't know where that might end up. So, um, yeah.
0: And it's it's interesting then you, you you talking about terminology and you know and and the word luxury. I mean, do you think that we're in a place where luxury the the word has lost any value?
1: No, I don't think it's... it's. I think it's lost some value. I don't think it's completely lost its value. Um, and I would, you know, hope that that will change. But I think it's it's like anything else. You you reach... A, coming back to the Gucci example, you reach a saturation point, you know, uh, where there's just too much of something. And I think right now there's far too many brands describe themselves as luxury or purveyors of luxury goods, and they aren't. You know, it's it's a, a false statement, you know. And it it feels very, very overused at the moment. And I actually read a report just the other day that said, you know, in the next 10 years, 50% of brands that describe themselves as luxury brands are likely to have disappeared You know, Uh, and I think, will they be replaced by other luxury brands or brands calling themselves luxury? Or is it a case of in 10 years, there's going to be a lot less brands around, you know, Uh, I think we're already seeing, you know, direct to consumer brands uh, struggling, you know, finding that they've been driven by investment rather than actually by profit or genuine growth you know they've just been throwing money at you know acquiring customers um which has been so expensive for them that there's you know i think we're almost at a reset point you know where uh people are are starting to look at the reality of uh, some of these direct-to-consumer brands and you know is the quality there are they delivering i mean you look at the problems with made.com you know uh although it's in another sector you know to be valued at 776 million you know a year ago and then to be sold for 3.4 million and just reading about that scenario it seemed their problem seems to have gone come that they haven't been delivering quality goods that it's been poor quality and you know they've not you know they paid the price for that you know very very rapidly you know
0: do you think then there's an opportunity to reclaim this idea of luxury um you know you're talking about lots of people producing goods calling themselves producers of luxury or calling themselves luxury brands but not kind of living up to the standard of you know what like luxury might represent which is you know craftsmanship and quality and you know not always heritage but you know sometimes it is about heritage but it's certainly about uh, an approach and to you know the design manufacture um sell of a product for me personally
1: it's always been much more about these elements uh just as we're talking here i'm i'm thinking to myself i've, I've never considered myself a luxury consumer or buying something because it's been described as luxury i've buy into because of all these other elements, the heritage, the craftsmanship, the story behind the brand. And they've got to be genuine. You know, these these elements really have to be genuine and authentic, you know. And I think that's the future. And I think that's the future for luxury. I think there's going to be less focus on the word luxury and much more focus on the meaning of luxury.
0: I mean, it's like in the oh, well, I don't know, in the the early nineties. You know, brands whispering or shouting. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's great. going to be much more whispering, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's the way forward. Yeah.
0: There's this an amazing opportunity to um, do what you're going to do with um, with Crombie because it it you know there's no product really at the moment. What what are the biggest challenges that you think you're going to face? prior and at launch, whenever that might be. Yeah, I mean, I think, you
1: know, like I said, the world's changed. I mean, bricks-and-mortar retailers are far fewer, you know, than they ever they ever were in the past. Um, I think there's still a big market and a big future for wholesale, but it's with much fewer customers, and you have to adapt and change how you work with these people, you know, maybe more exclusive product for retailers, you know, smaller capsule collections, so it's not just the same collection repeated in every store around the world that you deal with, because also I think consumers are international consumers these days, Uh, whether that's physically traveling or buying online, you know, they can buy from department stores in New York, you know, if they're they're sitting in Leeds in Yorkshire, they'll they can still purchase from stores in New York, you know. Um, so I think, you know, you have to approach the whole sort of retail scenario through wholesaling a bit differently and be able to be flexible in your production and be able to to work closely with the retailers to to provide them unique and exclusive products. I think. Crombie will become much more e-commerce driven. I mean, Crombie was actually quite early in going online and selling uh, through e-commerce and, again, had a period of quite rapid growth. I mean, when I was with the company before, they had a very healthy online business, you know. But I think, again, they haven't, they didn't keep up under the previous ownerships with the new you know, with social media, etc. So we have to be very proactive in all these areas as as we relaunch. Um, the world's changing very rapidly. Uh, there was a lot of discussion at dinner I was at last night about the metaverse and is there really a future for for brands? You know, is, is that kind of, you know, a white elephant? But I think like, like I said before, we are very open and we have to explore all these areas and look at all these areas. And then you have to then define how our brand can work in that arena, you know, and or is it an arena that we should be in, you know? And, you know, so, yeah, the, it's a new world that, that we're in and we have to take Crombie into the right parts of that, that new world.
0: And then I suppose there's other kinds of technologies, you know, emerging technologies. I don't know if you, how you see emerging technologies impacting on your brand. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, these things are all developing so fast, you know, and it's, it would be remiss to dismiss them, you know, even if, you know, they are not, they don't feel right at the moment, it doesn't, mean it's not going to be right in 6 months time or a year's time or even even next week you know uh i have the metaverse for instance i very recently saw for the first time someone's presentation where i thought yeah actually i can see now how this could work with with Crumbie, you know um and it was just it was just something that was so much more high quality and less cartoony feet than I'd ever seen from anyone else before and it began to feel real and of a certain quality you know for the first time you know Uh, which was quite interesting but I mean we don't know what the next thing is you know the next area that's going to come out at this stage but again I think it's just been open-minded to to the future and to to what takes off you know and to to definitely be be involved in that world
0: what about um issues around the environment environmental concerns sustainability are you addressing that in your supply chain or i
1: think uh you know at the moment we are working very hard on supply chain and that it's a very important factor and what i'm finding is that you know, we're we're obviously speaking to people that are, you know, reputable. Work with reputable reputable brands. I've worked with Crombie previously, and I'm finding those conversations that, and it's it's very refreshing to hear. It's almost like the first thing the manufacturer wants to tell you about you know, that they're being very upfront and clear about these things, that, you know, they have everything in place, how they treat their workers. And it's it's very interesting, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm not having spent that much time on sourcing and direct contact with the factories before, um, you know, although I have done it in the past, and it's not something they ever used to talk about at all, you know, when I was previously sort of looking to source. Uh, things myself for other projects but now it's almost the first part of the conversation they want to tell you about the certificates they have and the initiatives that they're putting in place and how the factories you know the energies provided etc you know which is very refreshing to hear Uh, I think it would be remiss of any brand not to be concerned about these things uh, in the world today Um, and I think the most sustainable part about crombie is producing goods with longevity you know and producing goods that will last and will last people for a long time uh you know using natural you know fibers wherever possible um but you know at the end of the day we want to produce the best quality that it's certainly not things that people would want to throw away, you know they can have a second life, you know, and one garment can go through multiple owners, as I'm sure many many Crombies have over the years, you know
0: yeah, there's your forty years, yeah <laughs> and I think I mentioned to you when we met that a friend of mine's father um in Aberdeen, well yeah. aberdeenshire um had a Crombie coat, which I've nabbed yeah so i'm waiting for that to arrive okay, and that must excellent. be 40 years old yeah yeah and how many owners you know maybe we
1: should start providing log books like a car so people can uh yeah you know record the ownership of the items over the years
0: oh that's yeah i mean that that would be an amazing story to tell and then in 40 years time um you get the owners together with their coats
1: yeah but i mean i've as I said that, I'm thinking, I'm sure I read something about on blockchain, about how mm. you can then record, you know, digitally the different owners of items, you know. And, you know, people are embedding, you know, chips into garments so they can track the the journey and the, you know, the sustainability and the manufacturing and the sourcing. You can also then track the ownership as it, as it goes forward, you know. So.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> Golden, my last question, um, and this is a question I ask uh, to everyone I speak to on the podcast, um, is what is your luxury?
1: Right now, um it's been quite an intense period uh through the whole lockdown scenario. It took us a year and a half to make the acquisition of Crombie um before we'd actually signed the deal. So it's been quite an intense period of my life, you know. Um Right now, my biggest luxury is switching off, sitting down and spending time with my family with no other agenda or any thoughts about doing anything else.
0: Perfect. Gordon Ritchie, thank you so much for joining me on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Gordon. And thank you to our partners, Books. Thank you for listening and don't forget you can catch up on all previous episodes of the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast on your favourite listening portal. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.